Um, good stuff. On the, on the same vein of testimonies and, and hearing from people, um, I got to see Pastor Matt yesterday, and he sends his love and greetings to his Osborne family. Um, and, of course, meeting with Pastor Matt, there was no dull time, and there was lots of laughter, and um, he's, just, he's still the same Pastor Matt. Um, and uh, he, oh, he, really quick update, he let me know the church he's, he's serving at, he um, got plugged in and was trying to hide, you know, in the shadows and not really minister at first, just kind of get fed. And slowly by slowly, they figured out who he was and that he was a licensed minister. They're like, what the heck? And so now he, like, couldn't help it, but now he's plugged into ministry. He's helping with the kids and doing all kinds of stuff there. So just so you know, he's doing well. Um, but I'll share that really quick because we're going to talk about the Christmas story this morning. Um, he said that uh, the reason he contacted me is he needed something from me. And um, he was telling me that he was going into Target and Walmart, and he would go into these stores and ask the people that work there, do you guys have anything about Jesus? And they'd be like, who? Like, you know, Christmas, like Jesus is a pretty big deal about Christmas. And all these places were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, like a nativity scene, like Jesus in the manger. And it, I was kind of discouraging to hear that there's a lot of stores that don't really sell um, the nativity scene anymore. But Pastor Matt got to use it as just an evangelistic tool. Like, you don't know who Jesus is? Like, this is Christmas. And so Pastor Matt, with Pastor Matt's style, was talking to all these people all throughout the valley and trying to find a nativity scene, uh, was sharing the gospel. So I love Pastor Matt. His story, I'm not doing justice. The guy's hilarious. Um, <laughs> But really quick, some Sunday school trivia. Where in the Bible do you find the Christmas story? Luke, the Gospels. Yes, both these answers are right, right? The Gospels. So, so I like that. Luke chapter 2, that's the one that I traditionally read with my family in the, in the morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Um, but you find the Christmas story of Jesus, the nativity scene you see back there with the wise men and the shepherds. It's in Matthew and in Luke. Um, Mark, just giving you that Sunday school trivia, Mark is that one that's like the cliff notes. He abbreviates everything and like a lot of details thrown out the door. Like Jesus was born. Perfect. That's all you need to know. You don't get all the details. Um, John, he's not one of the synoptic gospels. There's four gospels that talk about Jesus' life. John beats to his own drum. No, he's not the little drummer boy. Um, but he just beats his own drum, has a different take. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story. So if you want, you can start getting ready to turn to Matthew and Luke, the beginning of those gospels. Um, and then another quick trivia question. You got to put your thinking cap on, hopefully not too hard for you to remember. Um, we are towards the end of 2021. And so I feel like I got to do justice before we finish this year off. What was our theme or our word or our vision for this year at Osborne River Church? Compassion. compassion. All right, good. So that's where we're headed this morning. We are going to talk about Christmas compassion or compassion Christmas, however you want to say it. That's the title of this morning's message is a Christmas compassion. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story with the lens of compassion. That's been our theme for this year. And we're going to see how maybe that changes or highlights some things that maybe we didn't always see in the story. So we'll start off. We've got three points. So the first one this morning is um, compassionate deeds. Compassionate deeds, and they will all rhyme our three points. If you're taking notes, that's our first one, compassionate deeds, looking at Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 1, what does it say, verse, starting in verse 18, we'll go there. And uh, we're going to look at, again, just the story of Christmas. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So this is the beginning. If you didn't know the first few verses or genealogy, if you didn't read in your, in your Bible, and this is now the beginning of the Christmas story. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you to... Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. We'll stop there. All right, so this is the beginning of the Christmas story according to Matthew. This is how Jesus was born. It's telling the story of Joseph. It's saying that Mary got pregnant. We don't have all the details of the angel coming to Mary. We don't have all of that. What Matthew is recording, the very first, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, right? So our first lens our first opportunity to hear about the Christmas story is about Joseph being betrothed to someone, being engaged, this guy that's engaged to someone, and his fiance comes and says, I'm pregnant. And he's like, but we were never, the rated G version, my kids will be glad to say, all it says in the Bible is they did not come together. We won't talk about what that means. But Joseph knew, well, this baby ain't mine. And, um, and so he's like, and he got to hear her story, right? And Mary's saying, well, I'm still a virgin. It just, God made me pregnant, right? And you have to put yourself in real life situations. If that were you and you were getting engaged to be married to someone and you knew that baby wasn't yours and your fiance was saying, well, I just got pregnant from God. You'd be like, right, right. And this is Joseph. It says while he's thinking about these things, He's, he's trying to figure out what's going on. And I guess we're looking through the lens of compassion. I'm looking through the story because Matthew, he's telling us the story of Joseph. That's the very beginning. It's not Jesus in a manger. He's telling us Joseph. The story of Christmas is this godly man who's getting hard news. Someone he loves has betrayed him. He is trying to put feet of compassion to someone who doesn't deserve it. I would love for us to think about that. This year of compassion. There might have been people in your life that didn't deserve compassion. Have we been growing in our compassion, our deeds of compassion? Joseph, it showed that he showed a deed of compassion in that. He said, I'm not going to make you a public example. What does that mean? Well, according to the, the law, right? We know the law that Pharisees dragged a woman caught in adultery to Jesus' feet and said they were ready to stone her. According to the law, Joseph could have said, she's a dead woman, right? She's dead to me. She hurt me. She deceived me. She's dead to me. But that wasn't Joseph. He said, how do I show compassion? Okay, she broke the law. I'm not going to marry her because that wouldn't be a righteous thing. I'm trying to follow the law. That wouldn't be the righteous thing to do is still marry her because she's an adulteress. But I'm not going to make a public, I'm not only just going to not have her killed, I'm going to do it quietly. I'm going to make sure that, this is, that she doesn't lose her dignity. I wonder how many of us have been growing in that this year. Our compassion to people who don't deserve our compassion, they deserve to lose their dignity. They lied to us, they hurt us, they did things wrong to us. And so, yeah, good for them that they're in pain. Good for them, they got to learn a lesson. Or are we actually showing deeds of compassion? That's the very first thing of the Christmas story. It's amazing when you look through things through a certain lens, you see things you never saw before. The very first thing that the Holy Spirit records for us to read 2,000 years later is a story of compassion. The Christmas story begins with a story of compassion. Joseph showing compassion to those who don't deserve it. 
this Christmas, can we show compassion to those who don't deserve it? There can be people in your family. There can be people at work. There can be coworkers, your boss. There can be people in the government, right? All year long, these last two years, there have been people in authority over me that I feel like don't deserve my respect. And I have to show compassion to people who don't deserve it. Have we grown in that this year? I don't know. Have you? Have you grown in compassion to people who don't deserve it? There could be people in office who say, well, I didn't vote for them. Yeah, but are, do you have a heart of compassion for people who don't deserve it? This is the gospel message. This is the Christmas story. Are we growing in it? So you have this, right? Oh, hold on. Let me pull up my notes. So this is Matthew, right? Talking about Joseph who was wrong, showing compassion. Now let's flip. We're going to go back and forth between Matthew and Luke. So this is Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. It's amazing how you think the story is just about Jesus being born on that night. But we hear about Joseph's story first. And then in Luke chapter 1, we don't even hear about Jesus. Luke chapter 1, Luke records another story that he connects to Christmas. But it starts in verse 5. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I think I have verse 6 ready to go, but you can just hear verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And now in verse 6 says this, And they, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well advanced in years." So this is the story of Christmas. Luke starts off the story of Christmas talking about Zacharias and talking about how Zacharias was a good man, righteous in all his ways. And his wife, she was born. They both were of good lineage. They'd been followed. They're a family. They came from good stock. They were always doing from birth. They were in church. They were doing what God wanted. And they were blameless in all their ways. And now they're well advanced in years. They're old. For their entire lifetime, they've been serving God. And yet... Where has the compassion of God been on this married couple? They did everything right. And they kept praying. It says, you keep reading the story, they've been praying for a lifetime for a child. And yet they didn't see God's compassion. Luke records this story of Christmas saying, where's God's compassion? The reality is, Many of us, when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, sometimes I grew up in church, I heard all the good things that if you serve Jesus, good things are going to happen. Blind people, hear testimonies. Blind people being healed, right? If you don't have money, God will provide. All these good things. You don't want to go to hell? Well, God will provide a way to heaven. All these great and good things, which are all the truth. But if you are at least have some maturity or some length of walk with the Lord, you know that just because you are a Christian doesn't mean everything is easy in your life. Jesus doesn't promise easy. He doesn't promise everything to go your way. And you see these people, the Christmas story is recording a family who is God-centered, God-honoring, doing everything right. And they're questioning, where's God's compassion? Where's, I mean, where's it in my life? So much so, if you keep reading the story, Zacharias he goes into the temple. It's his turn to go as a priest to go into the temple and to go and, and do the incense and burn. And he's worshiping the Lord. And the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, all right, you are going to have a child. And his answer is like, not possible. Do you see how old I am? He doesn't have faith for it anymore. He's been praying for an entire lifetime and he gave up on it. 
Because God's compassions are truly not in my life. I do everything he says, but it doesn't benefit me. See, the reality, Christmas is telling the truth. It's a real story. It's not just some fake, phony thing to make us all feel warm. I love that Jesus records in his word some hard things. In real life, you're going to go through hard things. You are going to question, at some point in your walk with the Lord, you are going to question the compassions of God. That's the reality of the real walk with Jesus Christ. You will encounter problems and difficulties where you're going to feel like, God, where are you? That's just the reality of it. Uh, One of my kids actually just asked me this last week in a serious moment. Dad, I... I know God does miracles. And, I, and I, know, I know that God has healed cancer before. But how come God didn't do it for our family? How come Uncle Joey died? How come Auntie Jan died? How, and he just, not just sobbing, but just a little bit of tears, just questioning the goodness of God. Like, we're a good family. Dad, like, we prayed. Our the whole church prayed. Where's God's compassion? This is the number one question that people wrestle with, with God. God, if you are so good, it says that your compassions, they fail not. That you are love, it says throughout scripture. God is love. And you're all powerful. You can do whatever you want. Then why are you allowing bad things to happen to good people? This is the number one question. And God is actually addressing it in the Christmas story. It's actually not wrong. It's actually a healthy thing to wrestle with these things. God, it says your compassions fail not, but I'm not feeling it right now. I don't see it personally in my life. But I love the story. Because when I say these words, it's not just saying a cute little statement. It's not just saying things to make us feel better. It really is the truth. Even in the Christmas story, you see a lifetime of Zacharias just struggling with but we say it here often at Osborne. If it isn't good yet, God's not done yet. And in this Christmas story, you have the angel come to Zacharias and he's telling him, I'm telling you, you're going to get pregnant. He's like, it's impossible. It's too late for that miracle. That, time, that season has passed. And the angel's like, no, it's going to happen. And so even in the good news, because of his disbelief, Zacharias goes deaf. It actually says that Right there in this, in this passage, it says in chapter 1 that he can't speak. He leaves and he can't speak. But if you leave later, it says they had to sign in motion with him because he couldn't hear. If They just would talk to him if he could hear. But he became deaf and dumb. It's amazing how I connect these compassion stories of Joseph and Zacharias to the ability to hear God. That Joseph, when he had a deed of compassion of showing compassion to Mary, the Lord showed up and spoke to him. Maybe some of us, when it's hard to hear the voice of God, if we actually would just do a deed of compassion for people who don't deserve it, I don't feel like being compassionate. Yeah, but just do it anyways. Where is the voice of God? Where is the compassion? Where is the love of God? I don't know. But do the right thing anyways and watch how God's voice shows up. And I say with Zacharias... His disbelief brought deafness. There is 
Sometimes God speaks in proportion to our faith. When we have no faith for things, it's like, well, where's God? Well, because you had no faith. If you actually have faith, God speaks in proportion to our faith. Like I said, when I'm reading this story about compassion, I, had way too, I have way too many notes to share today. Because when I am looking through the lens of compassion, man, it's screaming compassion all throughout the text. When I have faith for something, it's amazing how when I listen to a sermon, when I read God's word, he's speaking all over the place about what I have faith for. When I have no faith for things, I can't hear God's voice anywhere. Where I, I spend time in God's word, I'm like, yeah, that, that was pointless. I didn't find anything. I listened to a sermon, I'm like, yeah, I didn't get anything out of that. Because I had no faith. When I have no faith, I can't hear from God. I find it interesting that Zacharias had a lifetime of praying and believing for something. And he finally gave up. And where did the breakthrough actually happen? Where was he when the breakthrough happened? He was in the temple offering incense in the presence of God, worshiping God. That in that place of worship and presence, breakthrough happened. no matter how bitter and cold and it seems like God is distant and he's nowhere to be found, it's amazing that when we just force ourselves to bless the Lord at all times, we choose to let worship come out of our mouth even we don't feel like it. We put on that garment of praise even though it doesn't feel right. It's amazing how the breakthrough comes after that. God doesn't promise an easy, perfect Christmas every year. You might go through some hard Christmases. Some of you, you might be going through a hard Christmas this year. But I promise you, his compassions, they fail not. Great is his faithfulness. This was the verse that we had for this entire year. That just as our Father is compassionate, so you must be compassionate. He has deeds of compassion for us all around us. Sometimes I don't see it. I'm unaware of it. But his compassions, they fail not. And if I would act in compassion towards others, I think I would see a lot more of God's compassion. Hmm. That's a good truth right there. If I don't feel God's compassion, maybe I need to be compassionate first. Jesus says this, if you don't forgive those around you, my Father in heaven won't forgive you. It's one of these things that if you want compassion from God, try being compassionate to others who don't deserve it. And watch how you don't deserve compassion. It comes from God unto you. Hmm. So these compassionate deeds. Zacharias had lost hope, and I was thinking about this. The difference, when I think about Zacharias in his old age getting pregnant, I can't help but think of somebody else in the Old Testament in their old age, being given a word that you're going to have a baby, right? And it says, yes, about Abraham and Sarah. And I love it. It says this in Romans about Abraham. In Romans 4, 18, it says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I like the message. It says it in the Message Bible. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw, but on what God said. 
That's so good, I got to say it again. Abraham, when everything was hopeless, against all hope, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw, but on what God said. Some of us, we've prayed a long time for something and we keep saying, God, would you just show up? And against all hope, he's saying, yeah, but would you just keep believing? Keep believing. But God, I've been believing for years. Yeah, no, keep believing. Against all hope, keep believing. Don't believe in what you see. Don't believe in your circumstances. Don't believe on how other people are getting compassion and you're not. Don't believe in that. Believe in what I say. What does my word say? My word says my compassions fail not. That I started a good work in you. I am faithful to bring it to completion. I will perfect or I will complete those things which concern you. God's word says that. It's not up to me to make it happen. It's not only just, it's not my prayers that make it happen. Yes, I believe. But it's God's grace. It's God's mercy. It's God who performs it. And I have to trust him. Again, you're getting stuck with my favorite verse. I have to lean not on my own understanding. If I lean on my own understanding, what I see, I'm doomed. My hope is not based on my understanding. But in all my ways, I just acknowledge, God, you said this. It's your word. It's your promise. You said, I don't feel it. I don't see it. But you said it. And I put my hope on your word. Like Joseph, what compassion deeds are you being called to do? What compassionate deeds is the Holy Spirit stirring within us before we end this year of compassion? Are there things, are there there's still time left to give compassion to those who don't deserve it? And like, like Zechariah, what compassionate deeds are you going to continue to believe God for? God, you said you're compassionate and you said your mercies or that compassion, same word, are new every morning. So I'm believing they're fresh and they're available again today. So that's just chapter one. That's not even the Christmas story of Jesus being born. That's kind of like the precursor of the Christmas story. So now let's look at Matthew chapter two and Luke chapter two. And this will be our, our second point. Our first was compassionate deeds. Next one is compassionate seeds. Compassionate seeds. And I'll say you should probably break up your word compassionate. Make it two words. If you remember, that was part of my vision for this year is come passionate. Come passionate. So let's look again at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, 9 through 11. says this, when they heard the king. Okay, giving you context. Who's they? This is the wise men. So Matthew records the story of the wise men. You won't find that in Luke. And Luke records the shepherds. You won't find that in Matthew. They have different aspects of um, the nativity scene, right? So we're reading, starting in verse 9. This is the story of the wise men. When they heard the king, King Herod, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right. So there's this phrase in verse 2 that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. The question is, did they rejoice with exceedingly great joy 
before or after they saw Jesus? Yes, it could be both. But according to verse 10, if you read verse 10, what does it say? When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. What this Christmas story is saying, it wasn't when they met Jesus, they, they rejoiced. When they got the seed of what was about to happen, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Some of us, we know that when we get to heaven, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. And some of us are like, yes, I can't wait to get to heaven. Ah, uh, when Jesus returns, ah, oh, I can't, I mean, man, this world, things are just getting rotten here, right? Jesus, just come, right? Some of us just pray that. Jesus, just come quickly. Get here already, right? And like, that's when our joy, we'll get to have joy when it's fulfilled. When we actually get to see Jesus, ah, oh, then we can rejoice. But according to this, we are to come passionately before when we just get a seed, when we just get a glimmer of hope, when you just get the promise and not the fulfillment of the promise. I don't know about you, but for me, I've got some room to grow in my exceedingly great joy with a promise and not just the fulfillment. God has promised some pretty incredible things to this church. God has promised some things, some pretty incredible things to the latter church before he returns. I'm saying that in this story of Christmas and this story of us learning how to come passionate, some of us got to learn how to be like these wise men. I love that they were wise men. They were well-educated, proper, knew all the right etiquette to be before kings. They knew how to present themselves. They were polished in every way. And yet the story says that these wise, polished, rich men rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I love it because it doesn't say they rejoiced. They could I mean, the Holy Spirit could have had Luke write and the wise men rejoiced. But on purpose, he had them write all those words down. They rejoiced greatly. No, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It was over the top beyond what they were supposed to do. A lot like King David when he danced before the presence of God. Kings don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Where's your royal robes? Right? I'll become even more undignified than this. David went before the presence actually showed up, right? We did this whole story. Before the presence of God, before the Ark of the Covenant came to his hometown, he danced before it actually got there. These wise men, they danced before they got to see Jesus. Before their breakthrough, they rejoiced. Some of us need to learn how to rejoice before our breakthrough happens. We keep saying, oh God, if you just would do this for me. And, he's, he's, and I feel like God in heaven is, is saying, would you just rejoice before I do it? Right. <laughs> Pastor Greg has been telling me a little bit about um, his fiance, right? Talking about Christmas, his fiance, Catherine's church, that in their church, they put us to shame. I'll just say it. As far as rejoicing, getting excited about worshiping God. Like, we're starting to get there where we start to raise our hands and we've done some, like, marching around. We've done some things that are pretty Pentecostal, some pretty, like, out there where it stretches us, right? 
But if we were to go to that church, they are all shouting the top of their lungs. They hardly ever sit, right? Even during the message, they're shouting at the pastor and the music is playing the whole time he's preaching, right? And like the whole thing is just, it's full of energy and life. And I'm saying, man, we got to get a little more black in this place. Um, I, I love it. I, I love the shoutbacks. I love when we get excited. And I would love for all of us to get a little more excited before we see the breakthrough. We keep saying there's going to be a billion soul harvest. Man, I want us to get so excited. That's a promise that we are so excited for it. Even on Wednesday night, I got to leave. There was a guy who just came and joined us off the street. Hadn't been in a physical church building in 20 years. And I got to lead him to the Lord. I was so excited. I drove off this campus, probably one of the most excited I've been in a long time. Just the full of life. And I just led somebody to Jesus. Oh, and it was like, this is the beginning. God just drew somebody off the street into our church building. And I got to lead him to the Lord. This is the beginning. And so I'm just saying, it's time to start letting loose. To get it excited before it actually happens. Oh, man. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. This seed, they came passionate. Before they saw Jesus, before they came to the place that Jesus was at, they were already jumping down. What if you and I, we learned how to keep doing that. That was the word for this year. Is that you and I, before we came into this church building, before we came to worship Jesus, all of us were full of passion. It didn't take Daniel jumping up and down singing. It didn't take your pastor yelling at you, right? Is that you on your own, you already spent time with God on your own. And when you got to church, man, you were just already bursting at the seams with passion. Coming passionate. What if, oh, I got to get to the next part, right? This is just Matthew talking about it, right? So this is Matthew, the wise men coming passionate. And then they worship this. I love this. It says that they opened up their treasures. I heard one pastor preach, they may have come with a gift in mind. Like, that's what kings do. You give gifts to each other. You honor each other with gifts. They may have come like, okay, I've got this amount. This is what I'm going to give this king when I go meet this new king. But when they actually came into the presence of Jesus, it says they opened their treasures. Said, no, he gets everything. He gets it all. He doesn't get a nice gift. He gets everything. It's passionate. When we worship God, it's not like we come on Sunday and we give him a little bit of praise. I'm looking forward to the day where all of us in this room give him everything. We become completely sold out. And with all that's within us, we worship Christ the King. Hmm. So this is Matthew chapter 2. Now let's flip over to Luke chapter 2. It's more of the Christmas story. So that was the wise men going now to the shepherds. I read, if you were here as we opened up the service, I read the portion of um, the angels appearing to them. And so we are in uh, Luke chapter 2. And maybe I'll just highlight. Should I read it again? Yes. Ah, let's read it again. All right. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. So there you go. Now you have angels bringing great joy, right? Which will be to all the people. The joy is supposed to be for everyone, not just some people, for everyone. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign or the seed to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. I love this for two things I want to make sure I hit. I said there was this seed or this sign. The angels gave them and said, all right, for you to find Jesus, you need to know that he's wrapped in rags and he's lying in an animal food trough. It's amazing how the wise men, in order to find Jesus, they had to humble themselves. They went into a small, whether they were there on the day or the day after Jesus was born or a couple of years later, we could debate about that. Um, but they had to go into a poor man's house. Stoop down maybe into a stable where it's sticky. These wise, rich men had to humble themselves in order to find Jesus. But it's amazing how the shepherds, what was the sign to them? Rags and animals. Do you think the shepherds had any association with rags and animals? The shepherds were the lowly ones. They were some of the most poor in the society in that day and age. They were the outcasts. Like, they were a little too strange to be in the city. So it's like, let's give them a job out there where we don't have to talk to them, right? It's amazing how God's compassion, even as coming as a baby, he met the poor and the lowly where they were at. Jesus says that, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. The sign that was given to them was something they recognized. They were very aware of that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That Jesus related to their humble, poor situation. Some of us, we just want our lives to be fixed. We just want God to heal all the broken pieces. We just want life to be good. We would like some extra finances. We'd like for life to be comfortable. And God is saying, actually, it's in your poor and broken places. That's where I meet you. Where you need compassion, that's where I actually will show up. When you don't need me at all, you don't find me. But I love that the wise men rejoiced before their breakthrough, before they saw Jesus. And in this story, it talks about the angels uh, coming and they're full of joy and they're proclaiming to the shepherds and the shepherds are kind of confused. Like, what should we do? Like, it says they actually had a discussion. Sh should we go to Bethlehem? I mean, the angels were like this huge display in heaven, all this joy, glory to God in the highest. And they're like, should we go? Or should we not go? Like, duh, go, right? So these, these, wise, these shepherds, a little different than the wise men. They weren't rejoicing as much as the wise men before. But it says that after they saw Jesus, they went and told everyone. We're just saying that. Go tell it on the mountain, right? That Jesus Christ is everyone. The shepherds. It says that everyone that listened to them were marveling, were amazed at what these shepherds had to say. They came passionate back to their workplace. 
They came passionate back to their homes with their family. They came passionate back into their normal day life. After they had spent time with Jesus, they came back to normal life full of passion. Some of us, we need some passion in our normal day life. You go to work, you're like, yeah, another day, another dollar. Yeah, got to go make some money. And Jesus is saying, no, would you come passionate? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your strength, with all your might. It's not okay to live life without passion. Jesus is saying, if you know me and you spend time in my presence, I'm a passionate person. I'm passionate about you. And if you truly were in my presence, you would become passionate about others. You become passionate about all the things I put in your life. I prepared good works beforehand that you might walk in them. Every day of your life, I've already written it all down. It wasn't just to barely get through. It was actually to enjoy life. Hmm. Coming passionate. Hmm. All right, so compassionate deeds, compassionate seeds. The third one, compassionate needs. So I told you the Christmas story was in Luke and Matthew. John, like I said, beats to his own drum. There's a quick little verse in here that's the Christmas story. It says this in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, right? Only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That one little phrase, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John, the gospel of John. That's the Christmas story. That's all of it. No shepherds, no wise men, no anything else. Just the fact that there is a God in heaven who stripped himself of all of his glory, all of his power, all of his majesty, and he wrapped himself in flesh. And became a man. John says, you don't need to know about shepherds. You don't need to know about wise men. You don't need to know about Zacharias. You don't need to know about the lineage. You don't need to know about anything. Just know that there is a God in heaven who owns everything and created everything. And he has so much compassion over you that he says, I will trade everything I have to get you. That's the Christmas story. Full of compassion. Jesus Becoming a baby. It's the most passionate story there is in all of history. It's the most compassionate story ever told. That the God who has it all and has everything let go of all of his rights, humbled himself and took the form of a man, not just the king, not just to be a ruler, but the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross. I love that it says that we beheld his glory. Not just the, wise, not just the, the three disciples that were up on the Mount of Transfiguration that got to see Jesus in all of his glory. No, it says that actually we got to see his glory worked out in daily life. We actually got to see Jesus be a man and be tempted in all ways, experience physical pain, 
experienced the loss of loved ones. Jesus wept. Like I said, a man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. We beheld his glory as he experienced everything there is in humanity to experience. That we have this great high priest who knows everything we're going through. He couldn't have done that unless he put on flesh. There is a God in heaven who could say, well, I feel for you. But he says, no, it's not enough. I actually have to put on flesh and see what it's actually like. I have to become one of them. Hmm. Full of grace and truth. Again, that grace is compassion. Full of compassion and that truth not to condemn us, that truth that we be set free. Jesus says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, make you free. So full of compassion. So again, like I said, it's just that one phrase of the gospel of, of the Christmas story, but John keeps going. In John chapter 1, in verse 29, he says this. This is all we get about history or practicals, not Jesus being born for the first time of a a history account is when John the Baptist, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Is this not compassion? Jesus' sole purpose in coming here was not just to be a good teacher. Yes, he came to be a good teacher, but that was not his purpose. Yes, he came to be an example for us how to live, yeah. But the ultimate purpose why Jesus came here was to die for our sins. There is no other way. He sought. There's no way that they can make themselves holy enough to get to my Father. There is none righteous. No, not one. There used to be lambs being sacrificed daily, yearly, for the sins. And he says, no, it's not enough. There's got to be a perfect lamb. Actually, a human, a man has to die for mankind. So Jesus says, I will become a man and I will die out of compassion. I will die so there is a way, there is access. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets the Father except through him. Hmm. John saw it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You will, most of us in this room know this one. As John keeps going from John chapter 1, now to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, had so much compassion of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the compassion story of Christmas. That God loves you and me so much that he gave his life. That all we have to do is believe. And sometimes we don't give credit to the very next verse. John 3, 16, John 3, 17. For God sent his son into the world, what? Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hmm. This idea of compassionate needs. Why did I label this last point, compassionate needs, from the story of John? Because God is an all-compassionate God, needs a target to pour out his compassion on. It's not enough for him just to feel compassion in his heart and just have it all up in heaven. He actually needs a target to pour it out on. He needs you to actually pour out compassion on. And it's actually in our place of need that compassion comes. As I said that earlier, 
When I don't need anything, I'm not experiencing the compassion of God, the grace of God. But when I cry out, like Pastor Greg said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have compassion on me. Oh, when there is a need, God loves to fill the need. When there is no repentance, when there's no recognition that I need forgiveness, there is no forgiveness. I have to recognize I need a savior. Hmm. So as Daniel and the worship team comes back up, I, I want you to think, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because I've said several things this morning, went through the whole Christmas story. It's good just to be rehearsing the Christmas story. It's good to remember, remind ourselves of the gospel. We just laid it, laid it out, John 3, 16. We should never get tired of hearing the Christmas story, never get bored with the gospel. But what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? It's not enough to walk in here and say, well, I heard the Christmas story, I'd already heard it before, and so it was good to hear it again. No, the Holy Spirit has something for each of us this morning. What are you to grab a hold of? This whole year of compassion, just being honest, Take an inventory. Have you actually grown in compassion? Maybe ask the Holy Spirit right now. This whole year has gone by. Have I grown in compassion towards people who don't deserve it? Have I grown to be like a Joseph in the story of this Christmas? Where people who have hurt me and wronged me don't deserve it, and I just freely give compassion. Would you change my heart, oh God? Before the year's done, would you change my heart to be full of compassion? Maybe like Zacharias, you've grown cold in seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. I love when David wrote that in the Psalms. He says, I would have lost heart unless I believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He didn't say, I would have lost heart unless I saw the goodness of God. He says, I would have lost heart unless I believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Not one day when I get to heaven. But I choose this day to restore my hope and my belief in your compassions, God. That you are for me and not against me. Maybe some of us in this room, the Holy Spirit's saying, it's time for you to get like a wise man and start rejoicing before your breakthrough. Before you have a reason logically to rejoice. Like these wise men, it just takes a small little promise, small little word from his scripture and says, I'm going to rejoice. That's for me and my household. That's for my life. It was written thousands of years ago, but it's for me, God. That's what you're saying to me. I, do, I believe not in what I see, but on what you say. And I'm going to rejoice now before it ever comes. Or maybe it's like the shepherds. Learning how to come passionate back into every area of your life where you've grown cold, where you become like a Scrooge. God is saying, I want to renew passion in your life. I want you to come and worship me. And as you worship me, watch me fill you with passion for those things I've called you to. Maybe you need to respond just to the simple gospels. I read the Christmas story from John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You're hearing the truth of the gospel again. There's a God in heaven who loves you and wants you and has forgiven you. And all you have to do is believe. Salvation is a gift. Christmas is about gifts. 
We can't earn our way into God's favor. We can't earn our salvation. Salvation is a gift by grace through faith. Through his compassion towards you, just saying, yes, God, I receive your compassion. So before we stand and sing our last worship song, I want to say a prayer. And if you need to ask Jesus into your heart for the first time, maybe to rededicate your life, or maybe you just need the passion to come back this compassionate Christmas. Would you just join me in this prayer? Jesus, I hear you calling my name this morning. I recognize that you are Christ the Lord. That this Christmas, this, this morning right now, today, December 12th, I recognize you're talking to me and there is a God in heaven who knows me and loves me. And I receive your compassion. And I confess that I'm a sinner and I don't deserve your compassion. But I confess my need for it. I need your compassion, Jesus. Would it be new this morning over me, over my life? Forgive me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires and renew a right spirit within me that this right spirit, your Holy Spirit within me would stir up passion for your name, a passion for others to know you, that like those shepherds, I would leave here today with passion, that I would go tell it on a mountain, that I would tell everyone everywhere how good you are, how great you are. Jesus, forgive me for not coming passionate into your presence. Forgive me for this whole last year where I've spent time reading your word and there was no passion in my relationship with you. Today, would you stir up a passion in my relationship with you? The passion you have for me, may I see it afresh and anew. I want to be passionate about you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come and be the helper. Endue me with power from on high to be passionate for you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you all stand as we sing this last worship song? Before we start singing, if you need prayer for anything at all, would you please come up? I would love to be able to pray with you. We'll have some leaders available. But if you prayed that prayer with me, that you made Jesus your Savior today, or that you are rededicating your life, would you just join everyone else that's coming up for prayer for anything else? And I just wanna pray with you. I wanna give you a gift today. Today is Compassion Christmas. Receive the compassion of Jesus. So if you need prayer, coming up and let's sing this last worship song.